Coming to you from the Morningstar Mission sponsored studio, this is Carl and Crew Mornings. Helping you take your next step with Jesus. That's what we're all about here, Allie. Do you, have you ever counted your steps? Have you ever worn a, some sort of a tracker? It's funny that you say, oh, steps. I thought you were meaning steps with Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I have. Do you still have your step tracker? Oh, I do. And uh, my daughter wears one too, so she's always uh, trying to compete with me. That's which great. It's never even a competition. Just, Mom, how, how are your steps doing? Oh, I'm somewhere around uh, 3,400. I have 11,000. <laughs> it's always way more. So well, mom doesn't take nearly as many steps in a day as my active 13-year-old. All we need you to take today is one giant step. Just one. And we've got some content that will help you do that. Discipleship to start your day. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. I asked my bride, what's the best passage of scripture? bar none in your book for facing betrayal and deep hurt at the hands of people that become your enemies. She didn't miss a beat. Joseph. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Hmm. Because you can think King Saul and the way he handled David. You can think, I mean, come on. The list goes on and on. But you look at Joseph and you see something amazing. List me his first betrayal, Young Thunder, Joseph's first betrayal. Joseph's first betrayal was that his brothers intended to kill him. Instead, they threw him down a well while they decided what to do with him, and they ended up selling him into slavery. Okay, he goes down to Egypt. This is why you got to hang on, because when you think you're going south, you may be going north, people. That's true. That sound like got some of my friend preachers. <laughs> um, because, no, in all seriousness. Yeah, so you're, you're on right. a roll. Second betrayal, go. So uh, once he gets to Egypt, he ends up actually getting a pretty nice position working for Potiphar, who is a very high up guy in he's Egypt. The, he's the head of Pharaoh's guards. That's right. So he's, he's probably top three in command. That's right. And Joseph kind of becomes his right-hand man. Things are going well. But then Potiphar's wife... Yeah finds out that Joseph is pretty good looking and she wants to be Bet with him Joseph. Down. That's exactly right. And so she asks Joseph to take part in this and Joseph says, no, I'm not going to do that. That's uh, dishonoring to God and I'm not going to sin against him. He runs away from her, yeah. but she tears off a piece of his clothing, yeah. brings it to Potiphar. Got and his says, underbunders. Yeah. And yeah. says, uh, this man tried to assault me. Potiphar throws him in prison because of it when he didn't do anything. Third betrayal. Anyone else want to take it? Take it, Allie. Well, he ends up in prison and he comes, he ends up <laughs> interpreting some dreams yeah. for a couple of guys. And they realize, wow, he really hears from the Lord and knows what he's talking about. And he predicts accurately what their fate is going to be. And the guy who is going to survive and be released. The cupbearer. The cupbearer. He says, I'll remember you. Don't worry. What do you do? I'll get you out of here, basically. And then he forgets. Well, that's what the text says. He forgets. He forgets. And years pass. Two more. Joseph continues in prison for two additional years. This guy, oh, my bad. Forgot. Guys, you don't have to wonder what the math is. The math is 12 years, maybe 13, depending on age and a few other nudging things. Sure. 12 years from 18 to 30. Joseph shafted after shafted after shafted. 
And I don't care if you think he was a little bit cocky when he was reciting dreams that God gave him, by the way. God gave him the dreams where the stars and the sun and the moon are going to bow down to him. I don't think there's any other situation where we look at a man uh, where they might kill him, but they decide to throw him into slavery. And you go, well, he kind of deserved that he was cocky. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. (laughs) Even if he was, getting thrown into slavery is a little bit of uh, an overreach, if I would say so. Amen. Yeah. Okay. So here's the deal. I just, bottom line, I'm right now. We've got enemies that are betraying us. What can we take away from Joseph's story, Allie? Well, that we have to trust God and not people. If we're looking for people for deliverance, we will always be disappointed. God can use people as instruments, but ultimately our trust has to be in God. And Joseph remained steadfast in his trust in God. Yep. Yep. And that's the amazing thing about Joseph is he remains steadfast. Isn't that amazing? He, you don't, he didn't get bitter. He didn't get vengeful. He didn't come out of there and try to get back at Potter's first wife. And ultimately uh, the beautiful reconciliation at the end of the story with his brothers. Like the, he wasn't vengeance minded with anyone who had wronged him along the way. Here's the interesting thing about Joseph. He wasn't rewarded because he was, he wasn't rewarded, therefore he was faithful. He was faithful, therefore he was rewarded. The, le- the, the kind of the telltale sign of his life story is, let's be faithful and watch God deliver. Yeah. Because that's the promises of God. Now, is it without pain? Are you kidding me? It's a lot the of guys pain. in prison. The guy was probably beaten and tortured, had some kind of punishment meted out to him because it wasn't just this little thing go down to c block and go in there and here's your mattress no things weren't like that yeah it was rough and then promoted all the way to the chief kingpin's right hand man and the rest of the story is epic check it out genesis chapter 37 through 38 weird but it's kind of thrown in there for free but then all the way through 42, 43, and you're going to find an epic story there. You're going to love it. Whether it's number one or 100, take that step with Jesus today. You're listening to Carl and Crew Mornings. All right, we're talking about overcoming evil and enemies and even loving enemies and having a totally different perspective. Sometimes when you go through betrayal, it's just a huge thing. They come in a lot of different forms. Let's get after them here. Caleb in North Chicago, what's your story, man? Morning. So I have been on active duty with the branch of the military for 15 years now. And about two years ago, we all got an order come down that we make a certain decision that through some prayer violated my religious conscience. And the consequences of not making that decision would have been separation from the military and even potentially jail time for disobedience to an order. And I prayed about it and they threatened to take away benefits, and through the obedience, our church reached out to us and supported us and covered my family and I. And then on a dime, I watched the military change their direction because of the hand of God. And after watching countless people be separated for making the same, for not making the same decision, not only did I get to stay, but I've just been approved to move toward retirement and to continue receiving my benefits. And I've watched multiple policies change since then that have been able to allow 
me to continue providing for my family through the hand of God in the military. Caleb, that's a beautiful story, man. I can only imagine what you're, what, that must have been one of the most heart-wrenching things to do to stand up for biblical principles, but then to see God reward you in that way and to see it ultimately trickle down, that'll affect so many other people with a conscience like yours. It's got to be, it's got to be one of the most amazing, to see the hand of God move like that, Caleb, it must be overwhelming. It's still to this day to know everything that he's done to care for me and my family. It felt like a hand-delivered provision and protection that was personally designed for the situation we were in. Um, The number of hours that I prayed over it, knowing that this could have a lot of consequences, but knowing that whatever it was, God was going to see us through it because he's the one that has sustained me through the military. He brought me safely through an Afghanistan deployment 12 years ago. Um, He's just been at work ever since. Caleb, you're a righteous dude, man. May your tribe increase. May we have more men like Caleb out there. Boom, brother. Boom, boom, boom. That's why we call you the Boom Crew. Let's get one more in here. Let's go to Philip from Aurora. Philip, you uh, experienced a betrayal. Tell us about it. Absolutely. You know something, and I I spent 35 years in an industry where your agent is your your best friend. You know, your agent becomes the person that helps you provide for your family. And they're the ones that give you opportunities to continue working in, in the business and in 2022, I, I took stand against a company that had taken a moral detour as far as I was concerned that they decided to follow an LGBTQTIA plus agenda across the entire platforms of their children's programming. And as a Christ-following believer, I knew I wouldn't be able to continue working for that particular company. I knew I would have to say no to my contract and, and, uh, and, and take the right stand. Uh, My wife and I prayed about it, uh, and we went to the producers and let them know that, uh, I'm sorry, I appreciate the offer, but uh, I have to resign. A week later, my agent dropped me. This is my longtime agent. Now, this essentially meant that I was done in the business. I was done in the third largest market in Chicago, and uh, that meant the end of a 35-year career. But praise be to God, almost immediately he opened up new ministries for me men's ministry in our church. He opened up other ministries with the Glaucoma Research Foundation as a patient advocate. It was, uh, yeah, it was a miracle. Of course it was a miracle. But like Sean said, when God steps in, he steps in wonderfully. Caleb said the same thing, or even policies can turn. And I can say honestly that God did a miracle. In a moment of despair, where I'm thinking, this is how my career ends, like this, for taking a stand, and God said, "No, I've got, I've got new horizons." <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Philip, I love you. Yes, by the sir. by the way, guys, um, I'm going to announce it right now. I finished your book, Philip. Yes, sir. And uh, Philip has written a book, a memoir of his life. Oh, wow! And um, you did a great job, bro. So we're going to see if someone wants to put ink to paper on this thing for you. But I need you to know that no matter the outcome, Philip, God has an amazing, amazing, amazing plan for you. Because your story is life-changing, bro. Thank you, sir. We love you, Philip. This is amazing. I'll be in touch with you soon. That's Philip from Aurora. Yeah. 
Most of you listening have seen Philip on the small screen and big screen. Most of you. An amazing actor. Got booted by an agent. And he's right. The agents are hired to advocate for you. Yep. Wow. But who's our advocate when everyone else lets us down? Oh, boy. King of Kings. King of Kings. Yeah. Your spiritual pit stop to keep you going in the race. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. I think one of the dilemmas that faces the church today comes in a lot of different forms. On the outside, pressing in is a lot of migration issues, especially here in Chicagoland now, as of late, last few months especially. And then we see what's busting loose in Israel. There's a lot of discussion about end times. And the actions and reactions to it are staggering. What we see on the streets of our cities, especially even here in Chicago and on college campuses, people that are green lighting hatred for the Israeli people, it's stomach churning. And you've got to look at it and go, well, what are we going to do as a church? We've got a great guest with us right now. Tom Rainer is founder and CEO of Church Answers Pastors. Big heads up right now. If you're in any position of leadership in church, a pastor at in any position in the local church, I'm going to give you a website here at the end of this interview that you're going to want. Tom Rayner, uh, 40 years of ministry experience himself, and he's with us right now. How are you doing this morning, young man? I am great, and I don't know where the young came from, but thanks. You'll anyway. take it, right? Come on. <laughs> take yeah. it, exactly, exactly. Okay, I, Allie and I have kind of been kicking this around. I have got a perspective with what's going on in the world, particularly in Chicagoland, as we see a lot of issues societally, migrants coming to our to our city, and then you look at what's going on in Israel. I personally, my vantage point in talking with pastors, I'm seeing a lot of laying down of personal agendas and even interest in their personal brand. And I'm seeing a heart for discipleship and even unity. I'm not saying it's widespread, but I'm seeing this bubbling up. What do you say, Tom? I would say that to a degree, you are correct. And what I mean by that is we, we do a lot of data. I could bore you. I know, you know, data. Data. I love your data. <laughs> but I could, I could get, I have statistics on how much statistics I have. So I'm not going to bore your listeners. <laughs> well, what do the stats say yeah, about this? Give us a little bit yeah. of a picture. We'd like that as a starting point. Well, I'm going back up a little bit if I can. Yeah. Then what what you are seeing is a very good possibility. It has not manifested itself strongly yet. But here we have been actually in my predecessor organization, and now we've been measuring what the churches believe since 1996. That's a statistical way of saying longitudinal data. And what is happening now is actually the bad fruit of what happened. Over the last 30 to 40 years, what I mean by that, we have seen belief in doctrinal truth, scriptural reality decline precipitously among active church members. And what I think we are seeing now is a fruit of that. And what I mean is now we have another generation that knew not Joseph. But in addition to that, we now have a hunger that I think could very well be what you're saying, Carl. But yeah. it's not manifest enough for me to make a declaration that, oh, we have turned this thing around. No, I think it's, you're it right. May, it, may be a, it may be a generation. Yeah, what I'm feeling is that I think that, there, that the hollowness of counting booties in seats and bucks in plates hasn't done anything. You know what I'm saying, Tom? And you have stats for that as well, right? Well, 
don't know if I can quote. Well, I can always quote your stat. I just don't know if it'll be the truth or not. <laughs> but I, 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 I will simply say that we had a movement of about a generation where there was deep lacking of convictional truth. And one of the reasons was we were emphasizing more and more, just get people there. They can be comfortable as they want to. And that mere attendance emphasis is bad. But if we're, we're talking about getting people there to become disciples in the context yes. of the local church, it's good. Boom. And it has not happened in the past generation as a general statement. That's interesting. I, I'm not surprised by it, but the fact that there's data to back this up is a bit surprising. How do you measure that kind of thing? How do you measure the fruit of what's coming out of churches? I'm, I'm curious. Well, first of all, let's, let's ask the question how we got the data before we start talking about how we can measure the, the fruit now coming out. Uh, in, in the studies that we have done, which are the same every year, we ask the same question, 20 of the questions are key doctrinal questions. And basically, the two biggies that we watch the most closely are related to John fourteen six, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. What we have been seeing among active church members, now keep that in mind, what we have been seeing is a decline in the belief that Christ is the only way of salvation. Wow. That is wow. the, that's how, the big how, one how precipitous is that decline? Uh, if you're in an evangelical church, it would have been a lack of belief in it of around 15% in 1996, up to nearly 40% Whoa. Uh, today. And if you're in a mainline church, it would have been the majority of your active church members. Now, that's in the church. Yeah, that's just, shocking. Just put that in mind. That is, this is not a general cultural answer. So we, we certainly have abandoned the, the truth in many ways, and now we're bearing the fruit of it. And one of the reasons we do, we focus so much on the wrong things for 30, 40 years, but we do have an opportunity to turn it around. There's a lot of good news, but I'm not going to presume upon any of you for your questions in this interview. So I'll just be quiet and say, it's been a rough generation, but I haven't lost hope yet. Good. So you have a lot of ministry experience. You've spent a, a, much of your life committed to the growth and the health of the local church. You, when churches come to you or when a pastor comes to you for help, for coaching, what do those conversations look and sound like? You, you, you don't have to be spe- specific to identify anyone, but in general, what are they coming to you for? Uh, there are two ways that we communicate in the in the context that you're saying, Allie. One of the ways is coaching, which is one-on-one with church leaders, particularly pastor. And the other way is consultations, where we look at the uh, church as, as a whole. On, on the consultation, well, on the coaching side, both. The question, let's say pre-pandemic, but let's even go back 10 years. Uh, the questions then was, um, uh, what tweaks can I make to turn my attendance around? That's a general statement. Yeah. Today... The, the questions are, I think my church is going to die. We need to do something dramatically. Or my church is in a free fall. Help me to understand how to restart everything we mm. should restart. Mm. So it's gone from incremental to dramatic. It, it really has been, to overuse the word, a dramatic change in the way we've asked, had questions asked of us. You know what's interesting, Tom, is that it seems like there's this divide. So everybody's facing the same thing. Post-COVID decline, post-Christian America decline, wayward kids going off to college, never coming back to church. Okay, we know all that. But it seems like there's two reactions to this. One is we're lowering the bar even still to get more people in, which is embracing transgenderism and and homosexuality. And by the way, I'm not an angry evangelical. I think we ought to love these people. But when you begin embracing them 
as full-fledged members of the body of Christ without casting a vision of the greater life and hope found in Jesus Christ, that can obviously be a big problem. You're going more of a theological skid. But there also seems to be others that are saying, maybe fewer, but my personal conviction is, I feel like we ought to be lifting the bar even higher. I feel in my spirit that the Holy Spirit's saying, honor me with the preaching of the truth. No matter what it may cost you, I will reward that. Am I losing my mind here, Tom? You're not losing your mind. And the, the response that I would have to that, Carl, is I, I don't I don't want to act like I know it all or I have some type of prophetic utterance that has come true. But back in 97, I wrote a book called High Expectations, and it was the thesis of exactly what you're saying now. If we don't raise the bar, well, we've done down the church so much that it means hardly anything you're right. to most people. It's, you are right. It's just another organization. It's a secular organization or it's a civic club. But now those who remain, a small number, and I say remain faithful, a small number of those churches are getting it. So I do think we're going to have an incipient movement that becomes greater, and the church, many churches are going to get healthier. But on the other hand, many are going the wayward way. And you're now, you're now seeing it as uh, instead of adopting the truth of Scripture, many of these churches are adopting the truth. Uh, put that in air quotes, you can't say it, the truth of culture. So we are going that way. But I remain an obnoxious optimist. I am too. I really do think that something is happening that will bring a healthier church, a healthier local congregation than we've had. It just won't be as many of them. Tom Rayner, our guest right now, founder and CEO of Church Answers at churchanswers.com. Coming up, Tom, I want you to speak directly to the faithful. We have some of the most faithful in our listening audience, and I want you to speak to them, those who are remaining in churches, those who are committed to the gospel and discipleship, but maybe aren't quite sure how to help their church get back on the right track, or should I leave? Coming up, we'll tackle that. Giving hope directly from the source. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. We've got guest Tom Rayner with us right now, founder and CEO of Church Answers. So to the person who's listening and going, yeah, the church has slipped over the last 30 years. The data shows it. It's discouraging. I want to be in a church that's vibrant and that's committed to the right things. And what do you say to the person who wants to help their own church but isn't sure how? First of all, I would ask them to ask the question, is my church still a church? And what I mean by that, does it really believe what God's Word says? And I'm not going to get into nuances of baptism or any of those things that have maybe denominational uh, angles to them, but does my church really, is my church really a church? And as is, is, um, hesitant as I am to say this, Allie, if the answer is no, I would say go to a church that is a church. So that, that would be to those who really don't feel like their church is going doctrinally, truthfully in the right direction. To those who say, no, this is more of a lethargy, this is more of a lack of commitment to the Great Commission, I would say let it start with you. Remember Jesus when he called his first disciples. He didn't just say, come and follow me. He said, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of people, of men. And then when he left, that was the beginning of his earthly ministry. When he left, he said, Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So here, here's my emphasis on this. In the churches where there is that lethargy, let it begin with me instead of them. Mm. And let's just say I can become and maybe I can have someone join me. 
and and I can become that Great Commission force. Here's what happens: the Great Commission drives health to everything else in the church, uh-huh. and obedience to that is absolutely key. I took 72 pastors through this two weeks ago, and it's been amazing how they have replicated that and are already seeing in just a matter of days a new spirit and new unity in their church because their members are looking beyond themselves, and they're looking to the world to be obedient to Christ. Hey, this is what we call it. We call it the Hope Initiative. And That's because great. this hope is, is taking all kinds of uh, of churches in all kinds of directions that are positive right now. So I'd say, well, what can I do, Lord? And so we've been doing that hope initiative. And we'll continue to expand it. Okay, I'm going to go with Allie's angle here because she had a good one. We got a lot of faithful pastors, staff, uh, staff members, even um, what is commonly called laity or unpaid people that are busting their tail. They got a heart for discipleship. What do you do, Tom, in a Biblically illiterate church, generally speaking, uh, compared to the church that I was raised in as a kid, where people had a handle on the word compared to now. What do you do with biblical illiteracy and yet a call in our life to make disciples, knowing that it's easier to gather a crowd than it is to make disciples, Tom? Where do you begin? How do you move forward? We're actually working with churches to do a three-point moving forward type of initiative. One of those is how they come into the church has to be a high bar. Whether you call it a new members class, whether you call it an entry point. And so you have to put the expectations of biblical truth and ministry on there. The second one, we're emphasizing that the groups become more biblically oriented. It's fine to do topical studies. There's nothing wrong with that, but we need more Bible. And third, we're urging pastors to preach more of a teaching approach as as much as they feel led to do so that they can start teaching truth. And we could go into a lot of detail of what that means, but as we're working with pastors and church leaders to do that three-pronged emphasis, we are really seeing some fruit. That's why I remain hopeful in the midst of all of this bad news. Yeah, this is wonderful stuff. Boom Crew, you're listening to this guy and you're going, where's this guy come from? Well, I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know either. But I'll tell you where he's at. And I want you to find him. Churchanswers.com. I want you to go there. This is a great site. I'm reading an article right now. You're going to love it. Should we be passing a plate? Seven insights on a, a little blog that Tom just wrote. Passing the offering plate. I haven't even read the full thing, but I got to tell you, these are the kind of things that pastors, leaders at all levels in the church Need answers to, and Tom's got them loaded up right here. Go to churchanswers.com. You're going to find some free resources, some assessment tools. There's a blog for everyone from pastors to lay leaders to volunteers to retired pastors. It's all right there. Just go to churchanswers.com. Start your day moving closer to Jesus. You're listening to Carlin Crew Mornings. Today, we've got something. I don't know that we've ever gone here before. No, I don't, I don't think, think so. we have. You look at what's going on in our culture today, and something's happened. In the 60s, kids that were growing up in junior high and high school, I mean, there was a a rebel spirit. And by the way, there always is with junior highers and high schoolers and even now elementary-age kids. But things have gotten deeper. Things have gotten darker. Things are getting tougher, and a lot of parents don't know what in the world to do about it. And you just a couple stats for you. Suicide is now the second leading cause of death for kids oh. ages 10 to 24. And here in the U.S., there's one suicide every 16 minutes. 
That's the reality that particularly <sighs> young people. It's tough days. Mario D'Ortenzio is with us right now. We're going to give everyone the lowdown on your background, but these stats and these issues, they don't surprise you, do they, bro? No, no. Unfortunately, the, the numbers keep going up every year and the percentages continue to shrink. So it's kind of our reality, like Ali said. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, it's impossible to point to any one thing as the driver behind these kind of numbers. But you've been a high school, college football coach. You are a parent. Based on your experience, what are some of the contributing factors that really drive like a culture of, of death? Yeah. I think it's as simple as social media. Um, I really wow. do. I mean, it's we, we can communicate in ways all around the world that we haven't been able to, you know, ever in our lifetime. And it'd be people see, especially young people see, oh, look at John. John has, you know, this beautiful girlfriend and he has everything that I that I would love and why can't I get that? And he has more followers and more likes. And I do think there is a correlation with the the social media aspect. And when that launched and uh, the increase of mental health issues and suicidal ideation, most definitely. Our guest, Mario D'Ortenzia, is the founder and president of a ministry called Death to Life. It's a worldwide nonprofit. It exists for the emotionally hurt, suicidal, abused, and spiritually struggling youth and adults. Yeah, Allie and I were commenting in here, how in the world did you get this URL? But it's a good one, deathtolife.com. We're going to give you a direct link keyword here in a moment here, Boom Crew, but you're going you're gonna to want this. This is an important ministry. Okay. Let me just break this down, Mario. You minister online with, you have chat, you have the ability to dialogue on Facebook Messenger, Instagram, direct message, you have texting, you've got coaches. I think you call them hope coaches. Yeah, you call them hope coaches. This is one of the coolest websites I've ever seen. Yeah. But as I look at this, I'm heartbroken. How can we help you? Here's the headliners, Boom Crew. Porn, substance abuse issues, bullying, PTSD. There are communities for disabled kids, suicide survivors, LGBTQ. What a ministry, Mario. How did you dream this up? How did God give this to you? Well, I'll tell you guys, I mean, to make a, a very long story short, in 2007, we have three daughters. We had three daughters at the time, and my wife said, hey, uh, we can try for one more and a boy. And uh, like, oh, okay, this is going to be great. What an awesome, godly woman I have. And, and my wife went in to see what the, the baby was going to be. And I was waiting for her. It was going to be a surprise. She was either going to bring me home a football or something pink and surprise me. And she called me crying. There's something wrong with the baby. And uh, by the way, it's a girl. And that took us on our journey. I'd been a believer for a long time, guys. Um, I was involved with an organization called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes for a long time. And, and I burped a prayer at a really young age. And, and I said I was a good Christian boy. And, and uh, when you hit rock bottom, yep. when there's something wrong with your child and you don't know what the future holds, everything's in question. And I was in a really, really dark, dark place, uh, a place where I didn't want to live anymore, to be honest with you. And our daughter now, I mean, she has, her name is Reese. And she just turned 16. She has a pretty gnarly disability. She can't walk. She can't talk. But she is the absolute uh, light in our family. She puts everything in perspective for us. But because of her birth, I mean, that's a whole other show. But because of her birth, um, it gave us a heart for those that are struggling with hopelessness and suicidal ideation, to be honest with you. And 
So my wife and I launched Death to Life in 2009. And unfortunately, it's I don't think we're going to be going out of business anytime soon. Yeah. But every year, the Lord has blessed us. And we have some work to do, that's for sure. Mario D'Ortenzia, president of Death to Life Ministry, coming up. What do you do if you're a parent or a grandparent and a young person in your life is struggling? Maybe they've gotten a, a diagnosis of depression or anxiety and you don't even, maybe you don't even know what to call it, but they're in a dark place. How do you help reach a young person who is struggling? We'll give you some answers coming up. Going on the road? Tune in wherever you drive. Just text AFT to 312-274-9624. So what do you do? You've got a young person in your life and they're not the bright light that they used to be. You can see that they're struggling. They're withdrawing. They don't really want to talk about it. You want it desperate to help them, but you don't know how. Mario D'Ortenzi, our guest right now, he's the founder of an incredible ministry. It's called Death to Life. What do you say to parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles who see a young person, teen, young adult, they are a, a shadow of who they used to be, and they have no idea how to reach them. Well, the first thing is don't ignore it. You know, don't think, oh, this is just a stage. He's 13 years old. He's maturing. This is a typical teenager. Do not ignore things that you know are different. Sleeping in longer, this dark cloud that's over them. Be honest with them. Sit them down. Love them. Be a safe place for them. Don't try to fix them. Just say, hey, I love you. Are you thinking, and be honest, say, are you thinking hmm. about ending your life? Yeah. Because what that does is it gives them freedom to be like, okay, then I can share this. And if they are struggling, if they're struggling, like I, I want to kill myself now, then obviously you have to get professionals involved, you know, a doctor or the hospital. But if they're like, I'm just struggling with life, I need a little bit of hope, then there are organizations like us, 24-7, Help and Hope. And uh, we have our hope coaches and, and our peer support that can be there to encourage them and love on them and help them realize that they're not alone. There is an organization out there like us that would love to chat with them. Mario, you said that the phone, these devices, I've heard people, in fact, I heard some wise pundits about 15 years ago predicting that these devices that we're handing mm -hmm. to our kids are going to crush us. What do you do? I mean, it used to be Mario back in the day. You aren't old enough to maybe remember this. But to get porn, you had to have a friend who had a dad who was a pretty crooked stick and and, the, and then get into the dad's stash and bring it to school or whatever. Now it, it's right here. You look at these issues that involve bullying. You don't have to go to school to get bullied. You get bullied online. And the list goes on and on. I know that you help, but what do we do with the source? And what do you tell parents when you've also said that the device that they have in their hands is the thing that's that's actually fomenting this junk? You have to have honest conversations with your kids. The things that our kids know today, if we were to look back, and I and Carl, I am old enough, but if we were to look back, you know, in the 90s or even the 80s and go, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? I mean, these kids know all that today, the inappropriate things, the politically incorrect things. And but we got to be able to sit down with them and say, hey, guys, this is the reality of this little device right here. And these are the consequences. And you know what? I mean, as long as you know that these are the consequences, this is what happens. You know, if you go onto this website, if you look at these pictures, 
if you, you know, dabble down and go down this road with your phone. These are the consequences. But to tell you that I, I'm here for you, you know, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to condemn you. I am a safe place for you. We're in this together. We're in this together. Love and that. if your kids know that, I mean, I think that would be an absolute blessing and a great first step. There isn't a, a golden ticket, uh, you know, the right answer, guys. That's the wild thing about today. I mean, but if the kids realize and understand, these are the consequences. You know, if you choose to go down this road, my gosh, it could destroy your life. You have a um, section on your website that says Meet the Undead, where you feature stories of individuals who have moved from death to life. Give us a story, either one that's featured on your website or one that's just close, near and dear to your heart. Yeah, one of our partners is a guy named Brian Headwelch. The majority of our listeners probably have no idea who the band Corn is, but it's not a Christian band. It's a very secular band, but he is one of the founding members of band Corn and had a radical conversion uh, to Jesus and was addicted to meth, was addicted to every other you know drug and, and sex and everything you could possibly imagine being involved in the band. And he found Jesus. But during that time, he struggled with suicidal thoughts and, and wanting to end his life. But he's involved. And everyone that's involved in our organization, the celebrity types, they've all struggled with mental health. So when somebody comes to our website and they see, wait a minute, I listened to Corn. I know Brian Head Welch. This is his story. My gosh, I can relate. To yeah, that. that's awesome. I can relate. So those are the people that are, are that are partnered with us. How does a parent use this site? I'm, I've been thinking about this going, okay, now what do you do with this? You, if you've got a kid that's hurting and you don't have an adversarial relationship, I think that's an important pre-qualifier, but your kid may be just hurting and I mean aching, but they know mom or dad loves me. Have you seen parents utilize this by saying here, I want you to go online, check this out. There's a place to chat. There's someone to text with. I want you to get help. There is hope here. Can we be that direct with this resource? 100%. It's a safe place for them. They can just come as they are. Yeah, most definitely. Use our website for sure. If you want the link, just text the word LIFE to 312-274-9624. That's going to take you directly to this website, all of the resources. You can check it out, see what your kids are going to be looking at even before you send it to them. But this is a great, great tool to have in your toolbox as a parent or grandparent. Just text the word LIFE to 312-274-9624. Helping you take the next step in your walk with Jesus. This is Carl and Crew Mornings. The interesting thing about pain is that Jesus invites us. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's interesting about that is that oftentimes people that are in deep pain and hurt from childhood, upbringing, choices, Actually, that becomes a barrier to the very love that God wants to lavish on them. Yeah. Isn't that weird? It, it really is. It's true. But it's true. Jose, first time caller. What do you say, man? What was that pain you were packing around and what did God do about it? Well, God gave me freedom. Um, okay, when I was a child, I was, where we're seven in the family, I was the youngest one. Uh, I always was mistreated by my parents, especially by my dad. He always, like, treated me bad he bashed me um we were we were catholic we used to go to church every sunday 
every Sunday they used to go buy beer. They used to come home, drink, and then they used to talk crazy. They used to talk about me and stuff like that. But I always felt that I was always mistreated. Uh, but I always felt different. I didn't know why. Within time, I realized and I know I found out that I was actually sexually abused by an uncle. Um, it was very difficult. I always blamed God. I always thought that it was his fault. I always, um, it was hard for me. I, you know, I always loved him because I always thought that, you know, God will take care of his kids and whatnot. So at the end, uh, I decided to, uh, I always asked God that I wanted to be different. There was times that I wanted to kill myself. When I was a teenager, I became a gangbanger. I started doing drugs. I became, you know, I guess all that was hitting me. Yeah. Uh, during that minute, my dad, he mistreated me like he embarrassed me in front of public. I, he always like, he always cared about all his other sons except me. I used to be in the street without shoes. I had shoes with holes on, on the bottom of my toes and um, I dropped out of high school. Mm. And it was very difficult. And during the mental time, I started, I, I decided, uh, I guess God took, he woke me up put my sons together and I said, you know what, what I'm doing is I'm hurting myself. I'm not hurting nobody else. So he made me change and I decided to go back to school. I finished my high school. I went to college. And then I said, you know, I have to be different than my parents. I have to be different than my brothers, blah, blah, blah. So then uh, I started, I was working for an insurance company and there was this lady who she used to give Bible classes and I started to attend her Bible classes. I opened myself to her and I started crying to her. She told me you need to get closer to God. He has something special for you, blah, blah, blah. So I, then I started getting close to God. I I, yeah. uh, I started going to church, and I met the Lord. He touched, he touched oh. me. He completely, he completely, I surrendered to him, and I accepted him as my Savior. I, I asked him for forgiveness, for blaming him for something that my dad and my mom, it, it was their fault, not his fault, uh, for not taking care, for yeah. taking care of me yeah. properly. So then um, I started getting close to God, and I, I never thought that this would happen, but my intentions, because I had so much anger against my dad and my mom, that I was never going to be there for them, and I didn't want to be there for them. But then once I became Christian, it just got yeah. me completely. Yes. Yes. My mom, she died of cancer. I was there to, to first aid to the last day she passed away. My dad, the same way, he was handicapped. And I was there for him. I was the only one there for him. Yep. Wow. And even that, you know, God has changed me completely. So, you know, it's like, I'm not going to lie to you. He's been everything for me. And the only thing I can just say, I'm very grateful because if it wasn't for all that stuff that I went through, I would never know who he was. Yeah. I would never know that he has given his life for me and that he has gone, he went through more stuff than what I did. But, you know, I, I could just say I'm, I, I'm a testimony to him. You yeah, know? yeah, Jose, listen wow. to me. I'm going to say two things to you, brother. I want you to listen to me close. I don't want you to ever yeah. say blah, blah, blah in the middle of your story again. And here's why, Jose. And I need you to hear me. Your story's power, bro. Your story's power. That's power. There is no blah, blah, blah about your story. And it is moving. And I want you to know, Jose, you have encouraged so many people today, my man. Yeah. You are true blue, brother. Wow, God is working in your life and through you. And the fact that you could, the evidence of God's power in you 
is best seen in the way you handled your mom and dad in their dying days. It's awesome, Jose. Thanks for calling in today, my man. First time caller, Jose, right here in Chicago. Wow. That's a powerful story. That's a powerful story. Giving hope directly from the source. We're Carl and Crew Mornings. Let me ask you a question. Are you filled with such pain that it has actually kept you cocooned away from the arms of God? And you've never before experienced the love of Jesus Christ when he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want you to come to him today. Somebody, and it might be you, came here this morning packing a world of pain And I've got good news. The gospel is that you don't have to carry it alone one more day. You might say, how do I let go of this, Carl? I'll tell you how. You come to the foot of the cross with me right now, and you offload it. And you say a couple of things. One, even though I've had pain in my life galore, I'm willing to admit I'm a sinner. It's a courageous thing. I'm willing to admit I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And you say, I'm going to turn around. You know what you're turning away from? A broad path of destructive stuff that leads nowhere. And on that broad path has been pain that you've experienced, abandonment, loneliness, heartache, but if you will but repent of your sin today, you will find healing in the arms of God because of the sin of others. How sweet is that, Allie? I mean, how cool is that? Man. It's the best thing ever. And it's, it's the only, only in Christ will you, will you find that real healing. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, come to Jesus today. I'm not asking you to get religious. I'm asking you to have a relationship with the one who died for your soul. Yeah. Jesus said, come to me. The invitation is there. Come on. Come on. If you're ready to come to Jesus and you're willing to admit the sin in your life and turn away from the broad path that leads to destruction, it's been tearing up your soul anyway for all these years. And you're ready to come to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I surrender all today. Pray with me right now. Father, right now, this person that I'm praying with is now coming to you for the first time in their life, bringing all their pain, all their baggage, all their junk, and laying it down at the foot of the cross. Lay it down there, my friend, right now. Right now, lay it down right there. And Father, they're standing up and they're saying, thank you for dying for my sin. And they're turning around. Now just turn around and just say to Jesus, Jesus, I repent of my sin. Tell him that. I know you died for me. Tell him that. And today I give you my life. And Lord, I pray that these that are surrendering to Jesus today would hear your invitation and experience the loving arms 
of a faithful God who's never hurt one person and that peace would flood their soul. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If that's you today, we want to help you right now. If that's you, just text the word NEW to 312-274-9624. Hey, this is Carl with Carl and Crew, and I'm so grateful that you listened to this showcast. Thank you mostly for being part of the Boom Crew. As we help you take your next step with Jesus, you're a huge encouragement to us. We'll be here again live every weekday morning from 5 to 9 a.m. Godspeed.